Ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. Hello out there, my friends. This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com, with another edition of BOA Audio Season 3. It is May 11th, 2008. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Before we dive into this week's episode, let me throw in a little plug here for our new BOA Audio podcast feed. If you somehow missed it at the beginning of last week's episode, the new URL for BOA Audio podcasting is www.banallofamerica.podcast.xml. Take that URL and plug it into your podcast receiving software, and then you'll be able to access all the latest Banal of America audio episodes as they come rolling out. On to this week's episode, we have a fantastic show on tap for you. Our guest is one of the big players behind the scenes in Esoterica today, the prolific Smiles Lewis. He's going to be joining us for a two-hour jam session on all things esoteric. Looking at his 20 years of research, he's going to take us back to the zine scene of the 1980s and early 90s and talk about the explosion and evolution of Esoterica on the Internet. We're going to take a look at big-picture issues revolving around the UFO scene, UFOs in general, 9-11, and the growth of the 9-11 Truth Movement. Plus, we're going to find out about Smiles' various projects, which span the spectrum of esoteric media, and, of course, tons and tons more. Lots of little side tangents, lots of laughs throughout the interview, lots of fun times. Like I said, it's an all-out jam session with one of the oftentimes unsung key figures in today's esoteric scene, Smiles Lewis. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Smiles Lewis, let me give you a little bit of background on him. He has a monstrous bio. You can check it out in full at the BOA page where you found this interview. I'm just going to hit the highlights here for you. Smiles Lewis has had a lifelong interest in all things anomalous. At an early age, proclivity at recalling his nightly dreams, as well as several personal experiences with ESP, precognition, and dream switching, bolstered his interest in the paranormal. Shortly after high school, he joined the local MUFON chapter in Austin, Texas. He would later become a MUFON state section director for that group, as well as leader of the local UFO experiencers support and study group. A lover of books, Smiles collected over a thousand titles before founding his own non-profit Anomaly Archives that serves as a lending library for the Scientific Anomaly Institute. For over 20 years, he has worked with digital audio, video, and other bleeding-edge internet technologies. He has published his own print journal, edited a local paranormal newspaper, maintained a large network of websites, organized a national UFO conference, spoken to anthropologists about UFOs and parapsychology, hosted both terrestrial and web radio talk shows, and has been podcasting since before the phrase existed. Smile's current projects include co-hosting three different radio shows a week as part of the 18 unique shows, airing daily on the Anomaly Radio Network. His website is www.smileslewis.com, S-M-I-L-E-S-L-E-W-I-S.com. Check it out. Without any further ado, let's rock and roll. This interview was recorded on April 20th, 2008. Smiles Lewis joins us for a two-hour esoteric jam session on BOA Audio Season 3. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Banal of America Audio we have a very cool guest here on the line with us tonight for the program. He is tremendously prolific. He uh, is behind so many different things in the world of esoterica, 
very well known by many of the researchers in the field. But he sort of operates behind the scenes in a lot of ways, but you see his name attached to so many projects. Now, obviously, I know him pretty well. I've been on his program, and I wanted to bring him in here on Banal of America Audio to discuss his experiences in the field. He's been in the field for quite a while, all the different paranormal fields, really, and all the different projects he's been working on. So our guest here is the prolific, profound, and very popular Smiles Lewis. Smiles, welcome to Banal of America Audio. Wow, thanks for having me. Well, let's start out with the bio, the background. Who is Smiles Lewis, and how did you get interested in the paranormal and get, you know, all wrapped up in this mess? Um, I guess the quickest route is to say that uh, at an early age, I had pretty uh, significant ability at dream recall, and since dreams, to my estimation, are probably everybody's everyday experiencing of the paranormal, um, I think I just had a predilection for that from the very start, uh, being raised by an open-minded mother, uh, led me to, you know, always question authority, um, uh, always kind of have a sense of a certain level of spirituality akin to Star Wars' The Force, uh, while at the same time uh, a predilection towards science and rationalism and looking for a balance between the two. Um, <clears throat> so at a very young age, started looking into uh, the strange, the mysterious, the anomalous, the occult, the esoteric, uh, from a perspective of having a little personal experience with the paranormal. Um, growing up with my single mom, she uh, and I had a pretty strong psychic bond, you could say, and there were several instances where it proved to my experiential self that psi and paranormal and ESP are, are real, uh, and that, you know, if they're real, then there must be ways of exploring them and finding out more about them, and um, some of those experiences range from her showing her probable intuitive uh, prowess by uh, keeping us from being shot to death at a uh, uh, infamous shooting in San Antonio uh, when I was in elementary school. We probably would have been dead if she hadn't been concerned about getting sunburned and moved us from where we had originally sat. Um, but we also had experiences where uh, one or the or both of us were suddenly aware of the other's distress remotely. Um, and simple things like getting up and, and going to the car, uh, knowing exactly where we were going, even though no words had been spoken. Um, just that kind of a strong anecdotal yeah. uh, scientific, uh, less than scientific uh, experiences. And um, growing up with you know science fiction, uh, the the you know being part of the Star Wars generation, and and growing up on reruns of, of uh, Star Trek, and and then the <laughs> going through high school with the uh, Next Generation coming on the air and so forth. Um, that definitely len leaned me towards the wonderment about uh, if we're alone in this big, big, big universe, and uh, if we are, how freaking tragic that is, uh, and if we aren't, then where's the evidence that there's anything else out there, and could it be here, and could it have always been here, and is it interacting with us uh, more often than most people think? Yeah. Um, and so I just kind of went from the experiential end of it and reading up on these subjects as a kid to um, right out of high school finding the local uh, mutual UFO network uh, chapter and becoming active with it and it had its own really interesting unique history and was really pleased uh, to punch into it and meet so many amazing peoples and just kind of start networking from there and from there I, I discovered the uh, anomaly or the zine scene of the 1990s uh, fresh out of high school 
And that's how I met mutual friends of ours, such as uh, Greg Bishop, who was doing Excluded Middle Magazine, and a number of others uh, that were on the scene at the time, thanks to desktop publishing. And um, just I've always been a networker. I love meeting people and hearing stories. And, of course, that's what these things are all about. They're all about stories, some of which actually have great physical evidence to back them up. Some of them, eh, not so much. But either way, they often are very compelling and it seems to me the stories end up being transformational uh, very often, and not just for the individual, but ultimately for society as a whole. And that's where I think uh, there's so many ways you can look into this. So it's just kind of like, gosh, I, I'm the kind of person who has so many different interests. I end up, uh, as you were saying, uh, with my name on a variety of different projects, and um, um, it's it sometimes is to the detriment of those individual projects because it can be hard to focus on, on one, getting one thing done when you're uh, working on so many different things. But, you know, anybody who knows themselves to have uh, a predilection towards uh, multiple hobbies and interests knows that, you know, well, you just kind of go where things take you. Exactly, yeah. And i got to give you props, too, because you're involved in so much stuff. And, you know, you're ambitious and, and, and uh, creative and, you know, like I said, just boundless energy, it seems. And a lot of people – in the paranormal world, and I'm, you know, I'm not faulting them. That's cool. They just don't want to. They just want to read and not get involved. But you're involved in like so much stuff. It's amazing. So I got to give you props for that. Before we even sort of dive into stuff, you kind of piqued my interest here because you said you were you sort of discovered the zine scene in the '90s and stuff. Talk a little bit about that era of paranormal research during that era because it's a whole different world now with the internet and stuff. And I'm sure it was just a very unique and interesting experience back during the '90s during the zine phase. Yeah, it was a real exciting time. As I as I was looking out there for different resources, I, I found, of course, MUFON and the Mutual UFO Network had, you know, the largest civilian UFO research organization on the planet and had a, a monthly journal that had been going on for decades. And so it just seemed natural to, to since I, I worked at the local public library and I was seeing the monthly issue of, of the MUFON journal because uh, we were the library was subscribed to it, it was like, okay, let, is there a local group? Hey, heck, there is a local group. And wow, you know, they, they had just kind of started up. They'd been going for just a little while when I met up with them uh, fresh out of high school in 1990, thereabouts. And they were starting to do local events and train local investigators and uh, they had a real interesting core of people who were plugged into some of the historic past, modern, early modern UFO era. Um, and just, of course, in the back of every magazine, including the MUFON Journal, there were usually classified ads. And you'd see in those classified ads, um, ads for other people's zines. And because of uh, the desktop publishing boom, everybody and anybody was taking advantage of this new technology to whip out um, their own little screed, and uh, I, I, you know, think Adam Go Rightly has often said that he created his own zine specifically so that he could trade it with other people and get other zines for free. <laughs> and so there was this kind of network of people, and and it's really interesting because there's other offshoots of this that are more cultural than anomalous, and but anomalous in and of themselves, and like uh, people doing uh, tape trading, like old cassette tapes, like they would make mixtapes and almost do like a telephone call where each person that got the, the got the cassette mailed to them would add something onto it and send it on and all kinds of wacky stuff like that and through mailing lists and kind of snail mail pen pal type stuff. But yeah, it was a completely different scene, but you could you could look through those ads and find all manner of esoteric, occult, magic-oriented, conspiracy-oriented, uh, UFO-oriented, science, psychedelics, consciousness-oriented magazines and 
early on, I, uh, through the MUFON Journal, discovered uh, uh, that, that uh, somebody was locally here in Austin doing uh, a really cool new magazine called Crash Collusion, and uh, that was this guy named Wes Nations, and I was just like, oh my god, I've got to meet this guy, so, you know, all us freaks, you know, we're always happy to meet <laughs> our, our own kind, but at yeah. the same time, all those freaks know that there's a lot of other freaks out there, some of which are even freakier than us. So it's, <laughs> there's always that kind of like standoffish, like, uh, yeah, sure, we have some of the same interests, but you might be a psycho. Um, <laughs> yes. But eventually I was able to uh, befriend this fellow, and um, he basically introduced me to uh, the excluded middle crowd out in uh, California, Greg Bishop, Peter Stencil, and Robert Larson. Um, all of whom are amazing individuals in and of themselves and have their own voluminous histories and, and, and have carried on the tradition of anomalous research uh, in one way or another. And through them, uh, I came to find out about Adam Gorightly and uh, uh, Jim Keith and Ken Thomas. And it was just, it's one of those things when you're researching and networking, it's just, it's all intertwined. You just, one thing leads to another. It's, it's, it's what creates those octopus conspiracies. It's just everything can be connected in some way and and so you just leapfrog from one resource and networking point to the next and at the end of it you've uh you know got a lot of data points some of which can, you can connect in rational ways others that are just kind of strangely attracted to each other yeah and uh it was completely different though then it was like it was a great feeling to go to one's PO box and you know digging through the spam <laughs> <laughs> digging through the the direct marketing crap you'd be able to you know suss out and bring out these amazing new zines that were coming out at the time and some of them were really slick and some of them were just obnoxiously photocopied you know 10th generation saddle stapled you know all, all crooked and stuff and yeah um, it was really amazing, and it's interesting because in, in, in exploring UFOs and, and consciousness and psychotronic mind control and weird the weirder element, um, you come to find out about characters like uh, uh, Ira Einhorn, infamous uh, in certain communities. Uh, the first guy that he he emceed the first Earth Day, and then uh, was later extradited from Par from from France uh, um, to. Uh, due time for the murdering of his girlfriend and putting her in a steamer trunk. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it, the reason, why do I bring up such a crazy character? Because he was doing, um, uh, through uh, zines, through the mail list operations, and through the early, early, earliest parts of the uh, DARPA uh, internet, thanks to Jacques Vallée, um, he, he was distributing information in the kinds of ways that now we take for granted as being, oh, that's just an, a mailing list on the internet. Oh, that's just a bulletin board. Or, oh, that's just yeah. you know a, a way of getting information out there using the latest technology. Well, he was cutting edge with that, and fortunately he was very unstable apparently, <laughs> and depending <laughs> upon who you believe, he either was set up for you know discovering Tesla mind control technology, or uh, or actually had some problems and killed his uh, his wonderful girlfriend Holly Maddox, which is uh, really tragic either way if you look at it. And uh, so yeah, completely different scene um, <laughs> on the internet now, where it's so easy to find all these resources you know, instantaneously, practically. Yeah, yeah. Just a good segue actually, because that's kind of what I was going to ask you about, because you saw. Obviously, you saw sort of the birth of the internet and now it, where it's at now, which is obviously you're on the cutting edge of where, of what's happening on the internet as far as paranormal stuff goes. 
What do you think of the evolution of the esoterica on the internet? Do you think it's been good or bad or ugly? Obviously, it's been ugly. Yeah, everything <laughs> on the internet's been ugly. But, but what do you what do you think about sort of how it's come along and changed the paranormal world in a lot of ways? I, I think it is uh, amazing and astounding. <laughs> it's also just there's so much crap out there, and um, in some ways, it's really diluted. The quality, I think. Um, it, 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 you, the nuggets are still there, but it is harder to sift through them. Um, at the same time, it's, it's easy to be awed by the, the, the hoop and hollering of, of the sensational aspects. But, you know, if, you, if you've looked at UFOs, you know that there are really, you know, two sides to it, like there's two sides to everything, but in particular things like UFOs where, you know, here's something they're really deserving of, of hardcore rational scientific exploration and severely lacking in that uh, uh, research uh, angle. And yet there's just so much out there about the subject, but so much of it is just the modern myth. It's the haystack, you know, that you have to go through to find the needle. There's so much noise <laughs> out yeah. there. And I guess it, it, it's as much as I've felt like I was on the cutting edge of it, it's, it's always been a matter of, well, I'm not well-funded, so it's still a, a real chore. And, you know, in some ways, I don't feel like I've been as voluminous uh, as I have in, in other times. But at the same time, it's kind of like, well, a lot of the times it's just a, it's not so much volume. Volume is not necessarily <laughs> quality. Yeah. Um, and po certainly post-9-11, I was mostly uh, concerned with, you know, volume and just getting because there was so much information out there, so much of it disappearing, you know, so quickly, you know, mainstream news articles that are really important for people to know about. And then suddenly, you know, due to the, the newspaper trying to make uh, money and charge for their archives or just through their own stupidity, getting rid of links and, you know, and not getting not maintaining content. And humanity losing uh, access to that potentially really important information. It's a, a real tightrope, uh, especially if you're not, like I said, if you're not operating from uh, a position where you're, you've got, you know, some kind of funding structure. Yeah. Um, you know, we've seen the rise of uh, organizations like NIDS, the National Institute of Discovery Science, where, um, you know, Robert Bigelow comes along and funds some of the brightest minds in the UFO and parapsychology communities to look at uh, strange paranormal phenomena and come up with some amazing data, some amazing papers, you know, whether it be on the, the Flying Triangle reports or the cattle mutilation reports. NIDS did some fantastic stuff. Some great white papers came out of there. But where is it now? It's, it's basically defunct. Um, he's gone on. He was a hotel mogul to begin with, and now he's going to be a space hotel mogul. So um, he's come and gone. But we also have him to thank for uh, Art Bell, you know, Coast to Coast AM. I mean, that wouldn't be around if it weren't for Robert Bigelow, you know, some guy coming along and saying, you know, I want to hear a nationally syndicated paranormal radio program. You seem like a good guy. Let's get you to do it kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not – that up on all the details, but that's the, the gist of it from what I gather. And, you know, there you go. We, we You know, modern ufology and paranormal wouldn't be uh, as popular as it is if it isn't, wasn't for well-funded uh, entertainment uh, and, and um, programs like the X-Files and programs like Coast to Coast. So that's not to say that there wouldn't be quality content there if there wasn't the funding, because I think there are always these luminary shining lights who uh, um, you know come up with some amazing stuff uh, with zero budget and and just squeaking by in life. Um, uh, there's a lot of a lot of cases of, of, of really brilliant writers uh, adding new perspectives to uh, the UFO story and the paranormal 
investigative saga. Yeah. Now, obviously, you've been doing this for quite a while, about 18, 20 years, let's say. That's just a rough estimate, right? Yeah. Okay. How do you avoid the burnout of just being in this field for so long and dealing with the drama that comes with it from all the people in it, you know, and all that crap, and just, you know, the lack of answers in general and how, you know, that can be kind of uh, dis disenfranchising after a while. Um, how do you avoid that burnout? Well, that's a darn good question. I... I don't know, because I constantly feel burnout. <laughs> um, but here I am. I'm still doing it, so yeah. I don't know. Um, I guess I, it must be something uh, inherent in my own psychological makeup. Um, I, I know some folks um, who uh, you know, wrote really important works in the field of magic and UFOs and paranormal who've uh, since donated their collections, their research collections, to uh, one of my nonprofit groups, the Anomaly Archives Lending Library, because they're out of it. They're not interested anymore. And it, uh, on the one hand, I'm like, how could you, how could you just drop all this? You know, um, it, it happens, and it's it, it's always a potential loss to humanity and the community of researchers at large when um, you know researchers fall out of interest with a subject and at worst throw their collections away or at you know at best you know pass them on to a few uh select friends or 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 uh, co-researchers um the person i'm thinking of you know as i said has written a number wrote a number of works in the uh the 90s anomaly zine scene and uh also uh, wrote at least uh, one significant book um and but they're not this person isn't interested in those subjects anymore and and thankfully the my nonprofit benefited from that donation. Um, similarly, you know, um, like we've taken the Dennis Stacy collection. Dennis Stacy was the uh, editor of the MUFON UFO Journal for years, and of course, uh, he and Patrick Wee, uh, Patrick Weish are um, the uh, guys behind Anomalist.com and Anomalist Books, and they're republishing so many great books and publishing new wonderful works. Uh, so they're still at it. He's still at it, you know, but he was kind enough to donate stuff that he didn't really need anymore. I guess again, it's it's something in my psychological makeup. Perhaps it's because I do, I, I, as much as, as unstable as I often feel I am, <laughs> mentally and emotionally. Um, the fact is, I'm I am a very dualistic person, and I do wax and wane between at least two personalities that are both very much me, uh, and those are the tired, I can't do this anymore, burned out. How you know how how have I done this so long? Uh, uh, side of me, and the other half is the well. I just I don't care because I, I'm still interested in these subjects. They still hold my attention, whether it's lucid dreams, parapsychology, UFO sightings, uh, mind control research, parapolitical conspiracy, covert ops, psychological warfare, all that stuff, folklore, anthropology, psychedelics. Uh, you know, all this stuff is just fascinating to me. It always has been, and I I strongly suspect always will be. And I don't have any kids. <laughs> That's another thing, of course. You know, somebody who's into this stuff, if if they end up with a family, that can really kind of just go, you know, here's the really important thing, this little rug rat running around that I need to take care of. <laughs> yeah, the real world can sometimes come crashing down on the on your paranormal interests and really take the steam out of stuff. And I think probably also uh, it helps that you that you have a lot of diverse interests in the paranormal field. You know, if you were just into one subject – 
that would probably uh, maybe contribute more to the burnout. But it sounds like, you know, if you get tired of looking at one thing, you're, you have a lot of so many different interests that you can go look at something else for a while. That's a very keen observation, yeah. I, I, and then now that you mention it, that, that makes perfect sense. Because <laughs> certainly, as much as I was focused on UFOs for so long, 9-11 changed that. You know, I, the the big thing people know me for that didn't ever happen was the uh, 2001 National UFO Conference. It was supposed to be a three-day, three-night extravaganza here in Austin at the then single location of the Alamo Drafthouse Theater Cinema, uh, which is now a franchise and huge, you know, multiple places all around the state and the country. And um, because of September 11th, uh, that didn't happen. And Everybody knows the the world changed, and we went down a really weird reality tunnel ever since. And um, I was already parapolitically aware, but that certainly you know redirected most of my focus to like, gosh, we've got a lot to do here, and you know things have gone on long enough in this you know effed up system. You know we we really need you know to to start looking at how the powers that be run our lives and. Um, so <laughs> as much as I still, I, I, I really, I, I, I long, I yearn to, to, you know, dive back into UFOs. And every time I, you know, hear of a new researcher or a new perspective or some new book or Jacques Vallée coming out of retirement, you know, it's like, oh man, you know, I get so excited. <laughs> and, uh, it, it, it's not, it's a nice distraction because it's needed when, uh, you get so involved in the, darker side of everything, whether it be ufology, parapsychology, cryptozoology, but particularly parapolitics. It's a dark, dark subject. <laughs> yeah. Let's sort of uh, dive into the UFO phenomenon, because it sounds like you said you've been, you were looking at it for quite some time. What's your overall thoughts, I guess you could say, on the UFO phenomenon? What do you think is going on here? Well, I, I think that it's undeniable that humanity has always considered itself to be in contact with some sort of alien others. Period. And if you accept that, you can go down the rational reductionist tack of, well, it's got to be all brain chemistry and misperception, and if there are extraterrestrials, we've got to hold that evidence to a high standard to prove its reality. Okay. But you can also go down the tack of, well, you know, it it may be partially true. There may be, you know, uh, uh, some sort of intelligence uh, or consciousnesses that are inner. Uh, penetrating our reality on a regular basis throughout history, and if you look at the effects on the individuals and the cultures, um, that that's one way of examining the phenomena as to whether or not it has any relevance or importance to humanity. And I would say, well, if it's if it did in fact create the majority of the Earth's religions, um, that's a pretty significant thing to take into account because religions are part of the power of the B structure, the PTB structure. You know, they're part of uh, the parapolitical story, and if these things uh, can come to anybody at any time, or in, but at the same time seem predisposed to certain locations, um, there's a lot we can learn at, without even jumping to, you know, conclusions about extraterrestrials or, or angels or demons or gods um, uh, or whatever. It's the point is. We, we've always believed ourselves to be in contact, so let's move on and, and, and explore this. And so I've, I've been uh, attracted by the works of folks like Jacques Vallée and John Keel, um, kind of a diverse crowd there. You know, you've got one guy who's just a journalist who's come up with some of the most profound uh, ideas about UFOs and their other weird connections, John Keel, to Jacques Vallée, who I really consider a very scientifically-minded, rational person, but who is also very knowledgeable about the occult and the esoteric. 
and uh, magic and and those networks and um, being a computer scientist and an astrophysicist, he's you know got quite a different perspective than your average UFO guy and doesn't really like to be associated with your, most of your nuts and bolts UFO folk. And then you've got all the other points in between these other people who uh, put forth some really coherent ideas, uh, either just explicating the physical evidence or um, going off into their own specializations. But my basic take is that there, there is a matrix of consciousness on this planet. We are a part of it, um, and there are certain locations uh, and circumstances that seem to facilitate humanity's access to these other uh, intelligences. And I think these intelligences range the gamut from being just literally, you know, manifestations of our own individual um, unconscious uh, to manifestations of humanity's collective unconscious in a Jungian sense. Um, to the actual communications by other species on this planet, uh, or perhaps even uh, species elsewhere. So you could have, I basically think that there's this, what I call a transpersonal virtual reality communications channel. That the UFO is basically a VR encounter device, if you will. Okay. Um, I, except that I, I don't think that they're always literally devices. I think that there are earth energies involved here, which is why you get, uh, time and time again, these flap areas that are uh, geographically centered. And so throughout history, humanity has interacted with these fields of energy that facilitate this contact with this other realm, and they're getting constant communications from, like I said, everything from their own individual uh, unconscious to other species. Like I, I, I think, you know, per, it's part of the pattern of uh, contact by quote-unquote hive-minded, insectoid, and in some cases reptilian uh, species is – is it could very well be true because I also think that there could very well be a, a sliders-like, you know, multiple worlds aspect to um, these encounters that people are accessing, you know, not just something that's uh, a one dimension away or outside of our human perception, but something that may actually be in a the, the same reality or a, a slightly different reality than the one that we're inhabiting. My ideas mostly in, incorporate the ideas of certain certain researchers on this side of the pond and the other side of the pond over in England, and that's um, Dr. Greg Little uh, is somebody who I think has done phenomenal work in his three books, The Archetype Experience, People of the Web, and Grand Illusions. All three of those detail his ideas uh, that are akin to what I was just saying, <laughs> that there's a, a, geo, a geographic aspect. Then, of course, you've got, uh, you know, Canada's Michael Pershinger, the, the Laurentian University uh, researcher who um, has investigated the proximity of strange Fortean phenomena as well as UFO sightings uh, along uh, fault lines and the, the possibility that uh, some kind of electromagnetic activity along these fault lines that's subtler than over earthquakes could be uh, affecting uh, human consciousness and creating the perception of, of uh, strange encounters. Um, and, you've, of course, on the other side of the pond, you've got Paul Devereaux, the Earth Lights researcher who's in, investigated ancient sacred sites and stone circles and electromagnetics associated with those structures and this this arena of, of what are often called earthquake lights, um, the weird luminous phenomena that have an electromagnetic component uh, that, that are associated with these, these types of events. Because, of course, again, the, the contact throughout history that humans have always had is often associated with balls of light. 
uh, you know, as representations of perceived other alien others. And it all comes together, and then there's these – there's another British researcher, uh, of course, Jenny Randalls has got some ideas on this, but there's another guy named Albert Budden uh, who published a really fantastic book called Allergies and Aliens, the Electromagnetic Indictment. Uh, it has a different name here in the States, but that kind of gives you a gist of what it's, it's about. His idea is kind of that there is this collective unconscious and that there are entities, archetypes in it that want us to believe in them, and so they will – create physical constructions with whatever they have available, whether it be dust, uh, you know, uh, or, or found objects uh, organized through powerful electromagnetic fields that interact with human consciousness. And um, since people have not only allergies to things like pollen and other chemical biological allergies, a lot of people have electromagnetic allergies. And even though people, humans don't generally perceive their own personal electromagnetic field, you're, you, you are surrounded by a variety of electromagnetic fields, the biggest one, of course, being generated by your heart and your brain. And uh, these interact with the environment, absolutely. Wow. And, and as you start to look at the literature that, that has delved into that, you come up with these amazing scientific experiments that could go a long way to explaining, you know, radical things like uh, extrasensory perception and psychic phenomenon and um, that sort of thing. So Wow. So my ideas are basically hinged on the idea that there's a, a huge electromagnetic component that's important to understanding this electromagnetic phenomena that interacts with human consciousness, but that also is perfectly real and physical. I mean, these things, we know UFOs leave physical traces, um, and... It's in those uh, often these altered states that are created by these electromagnetic incidents or proximity to an electromagnetic field uh, given off by one of these UFOs or devices or, or balls of energy, whatever it is. It's in those states that parapsychological data shows altered states are, are a great mode for transmitting anomalous information, uh, or rather for anomalous information transmission. In other words, um, you know most psychic experiences occur on the edge of waking, the liminal state between sleep and, and awake, uh, as well as in dreams. I mean, most people's experience of the paranormal is often, you know, psychic dreams uh, of one variety or another. So it seems pretty clear that, you know, if if, if humanity can communicate with each other through these uh, uh, anomalous cognition states, then why couldn't some other species? Wow, that's a profound answer. I'm very impressed by that. Some of you have put a lot of thought into this UFO phenomenon. Based on what you think is going on here, do you think that we can get to the point that, you know, so many people in the UFO world want, which is like some kind of disclosure? Or do you think this whole issue is so complex and everything that it's just going to be impossible for the human mind to wrap around it? Well, I'd rather be optimistic and and believe that we can – under the right circumstances, we can definitely uh, learn a lot from it, if not just about ourselves – potentially about um, our place in the universe and, and what the nature of these other consciousnesses are and why they interact with us. Um, as far as disclosure goes, I'm pretty pessimistic. Um, I, I've never been a fan of most of the people who've taken up the moniker of disclosure, uh, specifically Stephen Greer and, and the exopolitics crowd. Mm -hmm. I know that he doesn't necessarily like to be associated with people using that moniker of exopolitics, but... Um, it's all the same, folks. Yeah, yeah. And um, at, at the same time, I have found myself uh, acting as a, a Stephen Greer apologist um, back in, I guess it was 2002, when he issued a white paper saying, you know, beware government disclosure, where he was saying, look, just because we're asking the government to disclose 
what they know about UFOs doesn't mean that we should buy wholeheartedly hook, line, and sinker whatever they tell us. Yeah, exactly. Because as you know, in his paranoid and conspiratorial worldview, um, <laughs> the, the UFO and aliens, because he absolutely thinks it's aliens in some classic sense, and that it's all about repressed technology like zero point energy, and that it's all about you know keeping the elite from having their empire toppled by these advanced technologies that we would, as humanity, have access to that could free us all from the yoke of imperialist police states. That's the perspective he's coming from, and, and I actually really respect that because um, as much as I don't like his efforts because I think he far too often mixes in people who should not be given anywhere near the level of attention they've been given because they're obviously hoaxers, charlatans, and liars. And at the same time, he's had some of the best, most important witnesses yeah. um, as part of his thing. You know, So when he did his, um, his first big uh, uh, press conference, um, I guess it was right before 9-11, um, you know, I was both really excited that somebody was doing it, but when I saw the lineup, I was like, wow, you know, one potato, two potato, three potato, four, this guy's you know, this this one needs to be taken off the lineup because he's just, you know, ridiculous. Like, you know, I, I'm not going to name names, but yeah. the people who say, oh, well, I've investigated the, you know, you know, umpteen crash saucers, and, and I, I can tell you that there are 17 different alien species and that the government's in league with them. It's like, okay, fine, maybe that's true, but you don't need to be on this lineup because you've already established what you think is going on here. And, and, and what what happens, but the media all goes to that one person oh, yeah. because they've got the most sensational story. Yeah. Instead it, of the air traffic controller who's down to earth and has everything he can talk about verified on the tapes, you know, the radar tapes. Yeah, it's uh, it's disappointing in some ways that ufology. They kind of with, with with Greer, it seems like they they throw the baby out with the bathwater because of these extreme people that are in the mix. You know what I mean? Like some like you're saying, some of the people in in the in the book disclosure that he wrote uh, has all the interviews and stuff in it. Some of them are really good, but you know, some of them are kind of crap. And people end up just throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying none of the stuff's any good when. Some of the people that he has as witnesses are pretty good. Yeah, and now I will say, you know, as as an anomalist and a Fortean, I love data. I love anomalous data. I think some of the most important things can be learned from looking at the anomalies, and that's why where I'm ho mostly so hypercritical of uh, abduction researchers like Hopkins and others who, you know. It's, it's been known for some time and warned by people like Jacques Vallée that you necessarily attract the kind of data that you're looking for. And so the, the strangest UFO encounters are going to be the least reported by the individuals who've had them. Um, so the stranger the encounter, the less likely it is to be reported. But it works in both directions. I mean, people like Hopkins are going to attract um, people who, whose uh, experiences fit what he's already put out there as what he's investigating. Yeah. And he has himself said that, oh, you know, well, we throw out the ones that don't fit. And, you know, abduction researchers like uh, Dr. Carla Turner, who is no longer with us, but she was, uh, you know, I don't, I didn't, I didn't think she was perfect, but um, she was doing a lot of great research. And one of the things that she was doing was saying, well, we can't just throw out these anomalous cases uh, that don't fit your prescribed narrative, your prescribed scenario of, you know, this, 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 and this happened in the abduction scenario, and anything that, that is outside of that can't be real. Yeah. Um, um, so, you know, at the same time that these sensationalistic people are claiming to have done government work for the government doing, you know, crash saucer uh, retrievals, or who, the, the exopolitics and contactees who say that, you know, they've 
been in contact with these different aliens, whether they're their Ashtar command or, you know, uh, the Semyases of Billy Meyer or whatever. You know, I, I find all that fascinating for its own different reasons. But what, if you're going to try to get disclosure, you have to go uh, a much more respectable route. Yeah. And otherwise, you're just making a mockery of the effort and, and of the people trying to legitimately, you know, get some kind of authority figures like governments uh, to uh, address what you think is a real issue. Yeah, and it seems like disclosure hinges on the whole ETH situation where, you know, I can't imagine disclosure in any form other than that. Do you know what I mean? I can't imagine the government being like, UFOs are real – that they're existing in another dimension that you that you know you only can see at certain times and certain lo you know what i mean it's like that doesn't sound like it's even plausible so it seems like disclosure hinges on the old they're aliens they're here from another planet they're flying in on ships like right. the basic it, things and it's it, it is the modern myth i mean it, it's what makes most sense to your average western minded person um you know it it fits like oh well you know we do this. We, you know, send probes. We, you know, uh, abduct and tag animals. We, you know, um, do these things that are are often the, the staple of the abduction narrative. Uh, even though there are plenty of absurd elements in them, it, it has a certain uh, folksy logic to it. Yeah. And and I think when it comes to the to disclose, the possibility of disclosure, the fact is that I don't think the governments really know for sure what the hell is going on and so it, you know what it makes it more sense for them to try and put out disinformation that that might lead people to think that they know more than they actually do again that's the the, the very premise of uh, Jacques Vallée's um, uh, fictional uh, work Fast Walker it was co-written with uh, Mel Torme's son Tracy Torme who's uh, famous in the uh, science fiction television scene they you know wrote this book called Fast Walker the basic premise of which is that there is a super secret alien oriented intelligence agency in the American military industrial complex and that they do have you know some technology associated with the UFOs, but that they really don't understand it, but that they're trying to convince the powers that be around the world that they do, which is one of the reasons I was really worried about the, um, was it the French, was it the Cometa report that came out a little while ago? Yeah. As amazing as it is to have, uh, um, you know, that kind of a report come out, I felt it put far too much uh, uh, faith and stock in the idea that the American government or military establishment knew what the heck was going on regarding UFOs, and it almost seemed to fit right into that that scenario that Valet was has been warning about for a long time. That if, and he started since his 1979 book Messengers of Deception, he started suggesting that certain human agencies likely have been studying UFO manifestations, and even if they don't understand the ultimate nature of the phenomena have been capitalizing upon it and learning from uh, its effects and use turning it to covert ops, covert warfare, psychological uh, operations, psychological warfare, and maybe using it for some very sophisticated social manipulations. Just like I'm saying that whatever the true UFO phenomena is, it's been with us throughout history. And if you look at its impact on the individual and the culture and the society, it, it's had long-term influence. and you know, it stands to reason that humans <laughs> who have an agenda to protect, you know, their power structure, their uh, culture, their society, 
through military overt and covert means, that that's just another tool in the tool belt. And so I think Valet from a very early time was warning the UFO community and uh, humanity at large that, hey, look, you know, there's a real phenomena, but there's also humans who are capitalizing on it and manipulating it and manipulating you uh, and your beliefs through it. And that's been my main focus for a long time is once I kind of accepted the proposal that I was trying to outline earlier about my take on the UFO phenomena, it's like, okay, yes, there's there's a real phenomena. It does have an alien otherness to it, but it also tells us about ourselves uh, and the possibilities of other non-human consciousnesses. Beyond that, there's, to me, the more important issue is of, of how do we as humanity continue to move forward and, and find a better way of living together on this spaceship Earth and in, in, interacting with this phenomenon and moving into the future? Because obviously we're at a time when things are pretty potentially catastrophic and, and I don't you know, you can look at it from any number of ways, whether you think it, whether you think we're on the edge of an ecological uh, calamity or another global war or an economic collapse or all these different potential threats. You know, it's kind of an inevitability that we should really uh, look at ourselves as uh, humanity and try and let's go to the next level yeah. <laughs> in as unchaotic a way as possible so that as many people can benefit from uh, these technologies that supposedly set us apart from animals uh, in the best possible way. There you go. Yeah. Well, let's hope so. I, I don't know. I, I'm pessimistic about that. <laughs> yeah, I can be very that. pessimistic about it too, yeah. Um, just go to the shopping mall and you'll see plenty <laughs> of reasons why. Well, let's move to the other sort of pillar of interest for you, and that's 9-11. It sounds like you really dug your uh, jaws into this story once it happened. What do you think uh, of, this, of the whole situation with 9-11? And then to piggyback on that, what's your observation been on the evolution of the 9-11 movement? Because it's kind of one of the more unique stories in the paranormal world in the fact that we get to watch a whole new branch of paranormal research, even though it's under the umbrella of parapolitics. Um, it's still its own little world. We've kind of been able to see it start from the very beginning and grow and change over the last seven years. Well said. Um, I, I And I'm fascinated by that. Um, yeah, I feel like in in some ways, I mean, you know, Austin was was my own little ground zero to use a trite, and I'm sure that offends somebody. But I mean, <laughs> um, you know, we, Austin has a a, a very uh, historic importance in a variety of things that touch on the on the realms of parapolitics and the paranormal. And growing up here, and pre 9/11, uh, having you know become a fan of people like Alex Jones, um, who Depending upon uh, how you interpret the data, he predicted 9-11, and while he'd want, like to convince you that it was purely because of his ability to assess um, uh, uh, parapolitical data, it was also because he's psychic, uh, even though he says he's not. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole little special detail that I know I think I've talked to you on the phone about, Tim. And yeah, when I was on your show, we talked about it. Right. It's a little-known fact that he has admitted on two, at least two occasions on his radio show that he has a history of having psychic cognitive dreams, and that besides the parapolitical data that was leading him to, to sense something was coming uh, that summer, um, he said that he had a dream in which he saw planes hitting buildings in a New York skyline or something to that effect, and that that was really the straw that broke the camel's back that made him go on his TV show and his radio show and say, look, call the White House and tell them not to carry out these terror attacks. 
I was a huge fan at that point. I was watching him religiously on Access TV. wasn't really listening to his radio show at the time much, um, but uh, was both uh, in, invigorated, infuriated, and amused and, and uh, <laughs> entertained uh, by his style and his abilities. And, um, and just and he started, you know. Having having investigated UFOs, I was already aware of certain, you know, say right wing paranoid uh, uh, aspects of uh, the UFO community, like Bill Cooper and, and others who were of the Patriot uh, militia crowd, and and I had been exposed to that kind of conspiracy theorist uh, stuff, and I've never really taken it with. Uh, much more than a grain of salt. Having been raised as a, you know, liberal uh, Democrat, I was I was more in in keeping with the idea that government is good and uh, the United Nations was is the best thing you could imagine. And as I, but but what I as I investigated UFOs, as I learned about you know the CIA's MK Ultra programs and and their you know their policy of assassination and subversion in other countries to create quote unquote democracy and as i learned about how you know our military has been used over and over again throughout history as a you know an enforcement racket for big business and you can't butt up against ufo's with coming into contact with some of this data and just the idea of cover up itself i mean the idea that the government would hide things from its populace you know i mean just even basic things like that kind of led me to be questioning of of everything uh political and so i was primed um that uh september 11th morning when i got up uh to complete the final stages of preparations for the uh september uh, 14th 15th and 16th national ufo conference and in a lot of ways, when that second plane hit, I was not surprised, but I was terrified because I, I felt certain that this is it. This is this is the beginning of the end. Um, you know that that this signified you know uh, the powers that be manipulating humanity towards uh, the next dark stage, and it's been an amazing birth and growth of of a new esoteric. Uh, avenue of investigation, a, a milieu, what, if, what have you, uh, as you were saying, seeing these different conspiracy communities, you know, the, like I said, the UFO con- community has its own, has always had its own conspiracy underpinning, um, uh, and Martin Kottmeyer wrote a, a fantastic article years ago called Ufology as an, an Evolving System of Paranoia, uh, <laughs> you know, and even even people, even just the basic interest in Fortean phenomena in terms of Charles Fort, you know, the collector of damned data, um, there's conspiracy there. You know, the, the idea that, that anybody would suppress evidence, you know, Jacques Vallée's story about, you know, seeing astronomers destroying recordings of unidentified flying objects because they couldn't possibly be, so they had to destroy the data. I mean, that's cover-up. That's, that's you know, whether it's at the, at the behest of a government saying, you know, keep this from the people, or if it's just, you know, somebody afraid of ridicule, um, that kind of, you know, needs to inform our, our perspective on, on where we are with all this stuff. But with 9-11, there's so much data there. It's It's phenomenal. It is there are so many anomalies associated with that day, and not just with the events of the day itself, but the the days, weeks, months, years leading up to it, and and now the data that's come out since. I mean, it's whether whether you marvel at the idea that a pa- 
passport of one of the hijackers could fall to the ground unsinged after the fireball and the destructive power of whatever brought down those towers. It, it's, it boggles the mind. And then, you know, a year later on the anniversary when lottery numbers, you know, 911 are drawn and, and the, the baseball synchronicity and, and all these other weird things in the wake of it, it just kind of makes you go, well, you know, people like Alex go, oh, that's obviously a psyop. Somebody engineered that to, you know, drive home psychologically that, you know, 911 is still on our minds or something. Maybe, but, you know, I'm well versed enough in, in parapsychological data to know that these kind of things can happen, and I don't mean just statistically. I mean they're they're statistically rare, and and strange phenomena does occur, and sometimes it's I think paranormal. It's it's not a a, a sinister cabal engineering a conspiracy in in, in every case. Um, the data with regard to the um, the random event generators around the world going less than random before the first plane hit the tower um, is is really in. Uh, amazing and, and intriguing information in a line of research, but that's all the paranormal aspects of this. The parapolitical underpinnings, you know, knowing the history of BCCI, the Bank of Criminals and Corruption International, or the Bank of Credit and Commerce International, their connection to all the, the Saudis and the, and the terrorist networks uh, and the Bush family, you know, the, the, the SNL scandal from the 80s, the savings and loan scandal that enveloped uh, the Bush family and all the Bush brothers, all these things, you know, are there as a background laying the groundwork of, at the very least, what people call LIHOP, the, the let it happen on purpose uh, scenario, which is still treason and uh, still uh, a war crime. And and that is that, that basically, you know, this idea of blowback that, that, well, you know, our policies around the world and our uh, mucking about in other countries' business and our fomenting of of rebellion and our funding of the Mujahideen and all these things, you know, created the scenario where we were just bound to eventually get attacked. And that's certainly logical, understandable, and like, okay, well, okay, we, let's start there. But there's a lot more that directly most likely indicates that there were moles in uh, these various government and military operations who were giving information to these supposed hijackers and terrorists. I mean, how did they ever think they were going to thwart our air defense, for God's sake? How could a bunch of jihadists think that they could, uh, you know, circumvent our billion-dollar defense? Yeah. You know, it's it boggles the mind. And yet um, – you know, there's there's so many areas you can focus on. You can go f try and go from a forensic analysis. You know, so many people are trying to prove that explosives brought down the towers. So many people are trying to prove what hit the Pentagon. And yet, you know, to me, that's not near as, as compelling as, again, the background, the history, the foreknowledge that these people had. You know, the fact that uh, these different people encountered these would-be hijackers before the event and tried to warn the FBI. And when you look at how the FBI seemingly, you know, protected and coddled and tracked these guys and housed them in some cases, it's just – it's like, okay, now, somebody's head should have freaking rolled. Yeah. You know, it's like – you know, you don't reward people for mistakes. You punish them, and nobody was punished for any of the mistakes made uh, on that day or that led up to that day. And as far as foreknowledge, we knew as early as – I guess it was 1997, the whole Operation Bojinka idea of hijacking multiple airlines and then blowing them up over the oceans, and, um, as, and, and even right before 2001, uh, there were several instances where – I forget if it's NATO and or the UN in certain 
globalist meetings, they uh, had brought in special uh, ground-to-air defense missile batteries because they were aware of the threat of, of supposed al-Qaeda using uh, planes as missiles. So all those reasons led me to, on that day and since, question everything that's come out, even the things that support the various conspiracy theories. There's a, there's a lot of different controversial people in the, UFO, in the uh, 9-11 field, and I agree in part with most of them and disagree in part with, with even more of them, but I think that the planning by the people who really pulled this off went on years in advance, and that planning involved not just the planning for the event itself, but for the, after the event. And I strongly suspect that the 9-11 truth movement was engineered. I mean, they knew going into this that the Internet exists <laughs> yeah. and that that would be the easiest outlet for facts that people might uncover and the easiest outlet for disinformation that could be used to cover up those facts. And just like the FBI and other intelligence agents of the United States uh, have been practicing COINTELPRO since at least the 60s and, and since all intelligence operations throughout human history have involved double cross and uh, yeah. triple cross and, and shenanigans. I call shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's like, come on, you know, you can't, these people are dirty. And while, you know, you might want to believe that the CIA are, and the FBI are really acting in our interest, and, and even though they might have to get their hands dirty, that they're doing it for the betterment of our country, the fact remains that it seems like they screw up more than they help. Yeah. And whether it's the First World Trade Center, FBI complicity, whether it's, you know, the BATF's complicity and now foreknowledge in, in the Oklahoma City bombing, time and time again, it looks like, you know, sting operation is their backup plan. Oh, if they get caught before something gets carried out, they can always go, oh, we were just drilling for a, a you know, a possible uh, terrorist attack or we were just, this was just a test, you know. Yeah. So now, though, the truth movement, it's one of those things, it's, it's like, I can't believe how many years have passed. I really, it shocks me because it's still so fresh to me, and yet, old hat in so many ways. Yeah. Uh, it's like, okay, you know, it's like, it's like the Bill Hicks routine about JFK. Come on, Bill. <laughs> it's, it, that, that happened so long ago. <laughs> just, just forget about it. <laughs> just forget about the, that, you know, coup takeover of the United States government. That assassination, you know. Yeah. It's like they were, people now, they don't want to hear about 9-11, even though it's still, you know, Giuliani continues to exercise his reign as president of 9-11 by making reference to it every freaking chance he gets. So it's like it's still this point of manipulation of the populace, and yet people, it's it's already ancient history because, man, post 9-11 – <laughs> even that phrase, it's like, it's like, it's a different world, and 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 everything's accelerating, and has been for a long time. But that just kind of punctuated it, you know. Yeah, yeah, it does seem remarkable. I was talking, we had Greg Bishop on the show in January, and we were kind of talking about trends in the paranormal world, and it definitely seems like the 9/11 truth movement sort of peaked at the fifth anniversary of 9/11, and it's kind of been. I feel like it's sort of uh, been petering out ever since, and it sounds like you're kind of saying the same thing. Yeah, I think it's hard to, to estimate. Popularity? Um, yeah, I mean, I think in some ways there's more people involved and and there may in fact be more events going on. I think there's definitely more activism going on, but it's a new kind of activism. I mean, I remember 
gosh, even in 2003, with the rise of, of uh, iPods and, and, you know, video iPods, it was like, you know, people could now come up to you in the street and show you a video of something, you know, or, you know, with these little portable DVD players, even they could, you know, come, somebody could confront you in the street and show you WTC7 and make you go, what do you think of this? Oh, jeez. <laughs> and, and I remember when that started happening, it was like, wow, it was at the rise of the, uh, you know, the kind of a, the, the, the Alex Jones induced loose change phenomena of yeah. people creating their own, uh, mini documentaries and, and putting them out there for people to spread and it becoming viral, uh, in a really good way as a, as a mode of activism. And now you've got these whole, this whole, you know, confrontational style of activism. It's almost more like not, what uh, others have called uh, attack journalism, or, or what do you call it, uh, ambush journalism? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Actually, it seems like the 9/11 thing now it's it's taking on a little bit of a militant edge to it. Uh, what's that guy? Uh, don't tase me, bro. That that guy, right. and, and just uh, a lot of dis- disruptions and stuff. It seems like they're into now. I don't know. That might be more in keeping also with what you're saying about how they sort of planned for this truth movement in the first place. I mean, if you're gonna if you're going to want to derail a truth movement like that, it would be good to have a guy on the inside who just causes all kinds of problems and, and you know what I mean, disrupts shit, and then next thing you know, it makes the whole field look bad. Now, and, and I, I have real mixed feelings about about that kind of approach. Um, certainly, my, my first uh, encounter with this was Alex Jones' Access TV show because he was, from the very beginning, you know, that was actually the, the flavor of his research was, you know, he would go to meetings that, normally uh would be just invited people and and confronting people um like confronting uh, George Bush um you know long before he became president and getting uh, pulled out of the, the venue and driven around and then dropped off in the middle of nowhere but getting it all on video you know yeah. um and that's pretty amazing and then confronting the you know the then drug czar uh about the uh you know CIA bringing in the drugs and things like that in a lot of ways, I think that can be really powerful, and it's it's important to to make these people realize that they can be confronted at any time, thanks to the Constitution, uh, with their misdeeds. And yes, that can create a, a, an environment and a scenario where you know somebody's there to hear this person speak, and they feel put upon because some wacko is disrupting the event. And you know, you got to there's a line to be walked there, but you know, uh, I'll walk it for myself and you walk it for yourself and hot damn there's somebody out there <laughs> walking the line but going okay you know I am going to confront this person and I am going to catch it on video and I I find that really uh empowering and and fascinating while at the same time cringing because it's just like it's just like some of the UFO wackos you know there's there's these people out there that I'm just like oh gosh they're embarrassing and it's the same with the 911 truth movement there's plenty of people who I find embarrassing because they're they're, you know, like the surface literalist conspiracy theorists. They're, you know, the surface literalists, you know, ETH, UFO proponents. They're, you know, they're not looking beyond their own belief structure. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes, you know, sometimes they have facts and sometimes they have dots that don't need to be connected. But it's it's a weird field. and. <laughs> It's been really amazing to watch it um, birth and grow. Why do I have to always straighten you guys out? You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Have a good weekend, knuckleheads. Yeah, it has been interesting. Where do you think um, the 9-11 thing is going to go in the future? Like I said, now you said, obviously I do agree with you that it's still wildly popular, but it seems like it's taking a backseat 
in the mainstream view to like the ghost stuff that's all of a sudden even more popular. It seems like 9-11 is a little bit, maybe they're at number two, I guess you could say. Well, the the ghost thing has certainly taken off, and I think that's obviously the result of, of the reality TV uh, phenomena. The, these TV shows that are showing ghost hunting in all of its scientism uh, um, are, are popularizing uh, the idea of going out and that DIY culture, do-it-yourself uh, mentality of folks. And I think that's really cool and empowering. Again, it's, it's, it's kind of similar. It's like, well, it's, with the amazing access to technology that we Westerners have in the form of camcorders, cell phones, electronic uh, 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 recording devices, EMF detectors, all these things that are fairly easy to get access to nowadays, um, anybody can become an investigator. And with the web, anybody can spread their their uh, investigations for everybody to see. And I, I was really blown away just over a year ago when I started looking on MySpace for paranormal groups. And I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of them. And it's kind of like in the, in the UFO heyday when there were you know UFO chapters around the country, but there was, there was no Internet. So, again, they were doing it through snail mail uh, and shortwave radio. Uh, which, of course, is popular amongst uh, a lot of conspiracy researchers as a way of, of communicating and networking. So at the same time that there's been this wild explosion of activists in the 9-11 truth movement, yeah, there's been this uh, similar explosion in, in uh, researchers into the paranormal, particularly classic ghost hunting type activities. And uh, you had a guy on recently uh, who I was re I really was glad to hear him on your show because I forget the fellow's name, but he's he said right up front that you know he, he really had a problem with a lot of the research out there because they're proceeding. They think they're practicing science, but they're really they're going into it with a prescribed idea about the nature of the afterlife and and the po probability of the existence of ghosts and kind of going from there. And I think again that's kind of the basic problem with so much research, whether it's UFOs, 9-11, conspiracy, or, or ghost research, is that people just proceed from their assumptions and their own uh, belief systems, even though they might l really be trying to practice science or practice good investigative technique, but some of them need to br brush up on that. Yeah. But um, I guess where I see it going as far as 9-11 is I fear that depending upon the continued slide of civil liberties in this country, we could start seeing the kind of uh, repression and uh, categorization of these kind of political activists as terrorists that we've all started worrying about for the last several years. Yeah. That, you know, with the Homegrown Terrorism Act and all this crap that they're pushing, where, you know, if you express you know, anti-government sentiment, basically, you could, you know, be categorized as a, as a terrorist. It's getting pretty scary, and I don't know what kind of tipping point we're looking at. Um, you know, you've got people like Naomi Klein and Naomi Wolf with the, the letter to a young patriot and, and uh, the shock doctrine, you know, really waking up a lot of liberals to the fact that, you know, liberal fascism is as bad as, you know, conservative fascism. It's, it's the same thing and that, that, that we're really on the slide right now and, and that there are, you know, these telling signs of a police state and a tyranny uh, emerging and strengthening and, you know, what's it going to take before either people really do react to bring about some significant change or 
before the next big crackdown happens. I don't know if we're ever going to get a legitimate investigation of 9-11. I, obviously, that's where most people want to see this thing go, yeah. is they want to see an independent investigation. Um, you know, Ron Paul was asked about, you know, should there be a, an investigation, uh, another investigation in, into 9-11, and, and he made the point, well, if it, there is another one, it'll just be another government investigation, and you know how I feel about those. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, well, don't ask, you know, the suspects to, to do the investigation. On the other hand, his his crowd, and, and I'm often a part of that crowd, you know, has our, our disdain and, and problems with the idea of globalism in its worst forms. And so the idea of having some sort of international, uh, let alone a United Nations-backed uh, investigation is not particularly reassuring. Yeah. So it comes down to, well, how does one handle this sort of thing? And I like the fact that some of the more respected parapolitical groups um, have held mock grand juries to try and prosecute the people that seem to be involved in the 9-11 shenanigans, you know, in a mock trial scenario. And as always, there are people in the parapolitical patriot movement communities who are looking at some of the more radical but absolutely valid um, constitutional remedies for these crimes and misdemeanors. And, 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 you know, that goes to both the tax resistance movement, the tax freedom movement, uh, and the uh, informed jury movement, these people who are like, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> grand juries can do just about anything, you know, and then you're always being disenfranchised by not being told uh, your rights and powers as a gr- member of the grand jury. And, we have remedies and we have access to tools to uh, bring about the change, but at the same time, the system is so broken and so corrupt. Well, you know, trying to trying to bring about uh, a lawful resolution to the lawless, even though they are the law, can be nigh impossible. Yeah. But I don't want to be pessimistic and and say that it's not possible. It. it I talk to people every day, good people on all pol- ends of the political spectrum, who are just like. It's things are so bad, and they don't feel like they can affect any sort of change. And I, so I try, I try to go back to the well. You know, the best thing you can probably do is just find a, a topic, an issue that's near and dear to your heart, and find you know a, a group, whether it's local or otherwise, to, to help you know work on that issue. Um, but typically, working locally is is the best way to start because uh, you know there's corruption at all levels, and if you've got corruption and conspiracy and uh, that kind of thing going graft going on at the local level you got more pressing issues than some of those national issues but at the same time things are just so big and bad right now i mean whether it's the 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 nafta superhighway aka trans texas corridor aka the you know move towards the north american union these issues that uh, confront us as a as a country as a, as the united states of america um to you know issues of the economy and food production and uh the environment um Gas prices, all that stuff. Yeah. Where do you start? <laughs> exactly. I think the guest you're thinking of that I had was uh, Larry Flaxman, probably. He was uh, the science-based ghost hunter, so I think that was probably who you're thinking of. And uh, the last sort of 9-11 question I want to ask you was just what do you think of what's uh, been a really surprising development in my eyes, uh, and that's the the vast – well, not really vast, but the surprising handful of uh, – of celebrity endorsements to the 9/11 Truth Movement seems like, you know, every every few months there's a new celebrity that sort of hops onto the 9/11 bandwagon, 
um, that you wouldn't expect, you know, like the Charlie Sheens and Rosie O'Donnells and, and other folks. That Margaret are, Cho. Margaret Cho, <laughs> yes. Let's not forget Margaret Cho. But yeah. <laughs> I actually I was I was really shocked when I tuned in to Alex's show, and, and I'm listening to this Margaret person talk, and I'm like, oh, she's some famous person, and she sounds pretty, you know, with it, and okay, you know, she's a celebrity. I guess that's good. And then I realized that she was the comedian, and I was like, oh, wow, I didn't even – recognize her voice and uh and i've never been a fan <laughs> <laughs> yeah it but, seems like a lot of the endorsers are people i don't really big fans of uh yeah. even even in the i remember earlier last year uh they were like talking about Shirley McLean or something was <laughs> had the book with Kucinich and the UFO and everything, and I was like, right. why can't we get you know Charlie Sheen, who's you know he's a good actor and all, but he's also like a notorious womanizer and and you know partakes in prostitutes and all that fun stuff, and it's like, geez, we need like you know we need a wholesome Tom Hanks like guy to to jump on board one of these things. Yeah, um, as far as how I feel about it, at, like so many things, I have real mixed feelings. I. I I'm always happy to learn that somebody who uh, has a lot to lose risks their reputation and comes out uh, expressing an opinion, wh whatever it may be. I mean, you know, I certainly I somewhat empathize with folks who get that knee-jerk response of, well, you know, that person is just a singer. What do I care about their perspective on this particular aspect of politics? Uh, you know, to me – it's like, well, if if you are if you do find yourself in a position to to speak your mind to a larger audience, why shouldn't you? Yeah. Even if I disagree with your perspective, you know, sure I might be quick like everybody to say, ah, oh, who cares what they have to say about that because they're just you know an actor or whatever. But you know, no, I mean anybody can be educated about these uh, subjects, and that's just it. People can become very quickly experts, not experts, but they can become well informed about you know this, that, or the other esoteric field, and. And, and have an, an interest and, and an opinion about it. And but on the other hand, it's it's kind of like any entertainment media taking on you know these subjects. It's it's a double-edged sword. Um, whether it's you know Mel Gibson and conspiracy theory, or whether it's you know uh, the the fine movie Bug uh, about you know a guy who has a lot of wild conspiracy theories. Uh, and thinks that you know he's got nanites or something or some kind of engineered uh, virus under his skin. You know, there's these movies that are quite compelling and often do contain those kernels of truth that might help wake somebody up to you know parapolitical and paranormal realities. But at the same time, it's those same movies that often you know the the vast number of sheeple out there you know if, if something's brought up that's that was mentioned in one of those movies they can just go oh you got that from that you know yeah. that fictional movie and you don't know what you're talking about and it's like well no they don't know what they're talking about yes it's from that movie but that particular fact was true you know yeah. um the fact that you know Mel Gibson in uh, conspiracy theory you know that it's it's all about the CIA's MK Ultra program and there's a lot of uh verifiable stuff in in that movie but uh, as Ken Thomas <laughs> has said before, you know, it's kind of like as a conspiracy researcher watching that, it's kind of like, you know, a black person watching, you know, step and fetch it. It's like, you know, you, you get that sense of, gosh, you know, this is how people see us as yeah. wackos. Um, yeah. And so it, it's really hard. I mean, one of the, the articles I've been writing le recently is based on one of my web radio shows, The Blue Rose Report, and which is inspired by Twin Peaks. Uh, and that's a very strange milieu. I mean, most people, when they think of Twin Peaks, they go, oh, that's that weird 
David Lynch TV series that didn't make any sense and was like a soap opera, but it was about murder. But then there was weird supernatural stuff in it. To me, it's like I'm a huge fan, um, haven't always been, but recently uh, over the last several years became a huge fan of it. And and to me, it's it's like, wow, this is a great tool for, you know, pointing out, you know, uh, all these different aspects of uh, paranormal and parapolitical phenomena. Uh, through the lens of a of a culturally recognizable product, you know, yeah. um, there's plenty in the X Files that's really powerful. I mean, you know, the whole theme of uh, Mulder being the believer and then having his beliefs completely turned around when when suddenly he's educated about the realities behind some of what he's believed in and how it's, you know, it's government this and mind control that. And, you know, there's there's all these different aspects to it that were covert ops and psychological warfare that he was being, you know, manipulated with. There's some important ideas there. But at the same time, yeah, uh, it's the X-Files, for God's sake, you know. How can anybody take that stuff seriously? All right. Do you want to go keep going with that or? No. Okay. <laughs> nice. Nice. Good answer. All right. Well, tell me about this Elphis Network because uh, that's that's one of the big things I see your name attached to quite a bit, and um, I always kind of wanted a little explanation on what the Elphis Network is all about. Ah, well, let's see. Going back to the '90s zine scene, I, like Adam Go Rightly, <laughs> I wanted to uh, trade zines. I wanted to. I, I had this urge and desire to meet people who were interested in all the same subjects as I was, and to talk about them from an uh, an aspect uh, that was similar to my own perspective. And so my attempt was okay. You know, I had my friend locally producing Crash Collusion magazine, which had a lot on consciousness, shamanism. Uh, ethnobotanicals, aka psychedelics, uh, and magic and conspiracy and UFOs, I was fascinated from the beginning, again, with these electromagnetics aspects. I mean, I'd grown up hearing about parapsychological research. You know, one of the first things you come across is as people were trying to do ESP experiments, you know, it's like, well, okay, if, if there's a physical medium for the transmission of this information, it's probably electromagnetic. That since you know electromagnetics represents a field of influence that we can't see with our uh, senses, but which is there and can transmit information and energy and uh, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 the ether idea. And so very early on in psychic and paranormal research, there were people trying to you know transmit. Uh, information from one mind to the other and to, sh- to to test the hypothesis that electromagnetics were involved, they would put the person in a Faraday cage, a, an electromagnetically shielded environment so that they could see if, if the signal was still getting through. And what we come up with over and over again is that while electromagnetics uh, do seem to impact, affect, influence paranormal, parapsychological, uh, psychic phenomena, it does not seem to be the carrier for it. And the reason I say all that is because the name Elphis comes from the name of my zine that I started uh, in like 92 or 93, maybe it was 94, I forget, but mid-early 90s, I started a zine called ELF Infested Spaces after Terrence McKenna's phrase, Elf Infested Spaces. For those that aren't familiar with Terrence McKenna, in a nutshell, he was kind of the Timothy Leary of the 90s, uh, proselytizing the benefits and uh, wonderful strangeness that he had uh, uh, encountered uh, under the influence of various psychedelics. Uh, he, he and his brother, Dennis McKenna, uh, went down to the Amazon uh, looking for ayahuasca and uh, instead found the psilocybin mushroom. And uh, under the influence of these various psychedelics, uh, they 
were enlightened, uh, uh, educated, uh, lied to by these <laughs> this, these drugs uh, about different scenarios, and uh, Terrence being the quixotic, quicksilver trickster that he was and is, even from beyond the grave, he he didn't necessarily subscribe to any one of them. He entertained all these different possibilities, and, and one of the possibilities was that the psilocybin mushroom was an alien intelligence that that uh, communicated to him that it was an alien intelligence that seeded itself through space because spores can survive in the atmosphere or in, in a vacuum of space and they can be born up out of the atmosphere and out into space by Brownian motion and so they can hypothetically travel from planet to planet and and once they interact with a, a being that has a certain type of consciousness they can start evolving that consciousness towards ultimately being spacefaring and continuing to move the spore across the universe. It's kind of a wild idea, but that was one of the things that he uh, espoused as a possibility. And he basically uh, also started promoting another drug called DMT, dimethyltryptamine, which mm-hmm. is a fascinating drug that he and others described as a UFO experience on demand. And while it the, the descriptions don't necessarily follow true exactly to the classic alien abduction, there's a lot of overlap of experience there in terms of, again, humanity's historical uh, experience with contact from alien others. It's, it's, there's a lot of similarities, and he described that realm as being elf-infested spaces. So I took um, that phrase and his ideas and, and his energy and, and this idea uh, as the name for my magazine, Elf-Infested Spaces, but I, I spelled it E-L-F after extremely low-frequency electromagnetic radio energy. Um, E-L-F is one of the largest wavelengths uh, in the EM spectrum that humans have experimented with, and in fact, uh, it's what we've been using to communicate with our subs from land uh, with uh, these mile-long antennas. You know, just imagine, you know, those those telephone and electrical lot wires you see going mile after mile into the distance uh, in certain areas. Yeah. Those can actually act as antenna, and there's been special ones set up over the years by the military to communicate in secret with their submarines who are uh, shielded by that huge amount of salt water. And since so much parapsychological research had been done into the possibility that ELF might be the, the carrier way since it is so big and could go uh, long distances and can't be easily shielded against, they a lot of people have said that that's probably the communications channel. So I just made it ELF-infested spaces. I added the, the moniker um, Journal of Possible Paradigms because uh, Robert Anton Wilson had made me realize that I, I, I shouldn't call it Journal of the New Paradigm because, as he said, eh, any new paradigm is going to be as bad as the old one. So <laughs> better to be, you know, uh, better to, as, as Greg Bishop and others uh, uh pushed us towards, you know, to, to embrace the excluded middle. Uh, don't do that either and, either or kind of mentality, but a both and interpretation yeah. of things, a pluralistic, multidisciplinary appreciation of all these areas. And so um, it was actually uh, excluded middle, excluded middle writer, founder, Robert Larson, uh, I believe, who suggested to me, he, I think he just started calling me Elfist at some point. Um, as a, as an acronym for Elf Infested Spaces, ELFIS. And when I was back in, uh, 97, I was about to purchase my first domain name, uh, on the emerging World Wide Web. I wanted it to be for my magazine, Elf Infested Spaces, so I went with Elfis. And, uh, since at the time Elfis.com was taken, I, I went with Elfis.net and thus was born the Elfis Network. And, 
over the years, having a little bit of uh, web design skills, <laughs> I started helping friends, you know, with websites and just I kind of like like my book collection. I started accumulating these yeah. websites uh, to the point where now I probably I I host or maintain somewhere between forty and fifty websites. Oh wow! Um, most of them are just you know one offs. When I was in a mood of, for a certain name, <laughs> but I host you know a variety of websites for different friends and nonprofits and different projects of mine over the years. For example, uh, just recently uh, helped uh, Greg Bishop launch uh, a site for his his weekly show, uh, Radio Mysterioso. I've got a friend who's uh, in a nearby central Texas town who's an electromagnetics expert himself, and uh, he's got a website called EMF Interface for Electromagnetic Field Interface, and he basically does consulting, and he'll uh, go to people's homes and uh, do a, basically an on-site inspection uh, to, to ascertain the uh, extent of electromagnetic pollution in the home because – I, as much as I use these technologies, I really I've been everything I've read about them over the years. I really need to everybody needs to minimize their exposure, but that's really hard to do because basically, folks, we're awash in a uh, unhealthy electromagnetic smog that most of us can't perceive, but which we actually are probably being influenced by more than we realize, and that's the result of the EMF given off by uh, electrical power lines, telephone lines, uh, your Wi-Fi in your home, your cell phone, your cordless phone. All that stuff is contributing to uh, just a nasty, nasty environment that had never existed on this planet before. And uh, so my friend Jim Beal at EMF Interface is a great person to contact. And he's an amazing figure. He's been involved in the uh, alternate science community uh, from the beginning. I mean, he's one of the original founders of IONS, the Institute of Noetic Science out in California, founded by former astronaut Edgar Mitchell mm -hmm. that's been involved in a lot of electromagnetics uh, and, and uh, ESP research and whatnot. And so he's he's another person who I, whose side I host. Uh, I love the word anomaly, and so I've I've gobbled up a number of anomaly related domain names. Um, <laughs> I, I host the website for the Austin Mufon chapter. That's austinmufon.org. Um, I uh, have, of course, websites for my Anomaly Radio Network, which your uh, show is on, and all yep. the other shows are on. That's anomalyradio.com. I've got one for videos. That's anomalytv.com. There's just so many other people. Uh, my friend Angela Keaton. Her website, site, uh, AngelaKeaton.com, and yeah, just lots and lots of websites. That's the Elphis Network, so you, you can go. find all kinds of stuff. There's 9-11 sites. There's sites that uh, are kind of like my online dream journal, all kinds of stuff. This is what I was talking about, folks. He's prolific. <laughs> now, let's talk about uh, – you, you sort of just touched on it here, but let's talk about the Anomaly Radio Network, which I am proud to be a part of. Classic BOA episodes running uh, five days a week on the Anomaly Radio Network. I'm really psyched about that. And, of course, your program, the Blue Rose Report, and you host a couple other shows. Uh, talk a little bit about the Anomaly Radio Network and, um, you know, what your goals are and what, what – you know, all about the Blue Rose Report, too. Let's talk about your show in specific. Well, thanks. Um, uh, the – the Anomaly Radio uh, Network is an outgrowth of something I've been doing uh, for the past eight-plus years. Um, starting in late 2000, early 2001, I started experimenting with the live web streaming uh, services out there. In the beginning, in the beginning, the network, the net was free. Uh, there were <laughs> there were so many online services that were offering, you know, start your own web radio station for free, and 
you know, you could either upload your audio tracks to their website and stream off of their site, or you could, if you had a, you know, a high-speed connection, you could stream from your home computer. And so I've basically been streaming live 24-7 uh, from my own home computer since 2000, 2001. And I started experimenting with doing live shows, not just playing my music, and uh, not my favorite music, but uh, playing any kind of audio I could find. And, uh, of course, several friends of mine uh, have been doing their own actual radio programs. Uh, Greg Bishop has experimented in uh, micro FM, a.k.a. pirate radio, uh, <laughs> for a long time. And, and uh, Robert Larson's had his own uh, radio show. My friend Angela Keaton had a uh, – she was a station manager at one of the best community radio shows uh, on the planet here in Austin, Co-op Radio. Um, and so I had all these friends who were involved in radio, and I was streaming. And basically back in late December '05, I guess, I, I, I decided that I was going to go ahead and make the leap and try to do a commercial web radio station. Instead of doing it as a hobby, as I had for all those years, not making a, a dime and, and spending too much money, um, I decided to spend even more money and make even less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and so I, I decided to, to uh, basically get all my friends to contribute to the network, um, and thus was born Anomaly Radio uh, early January 2006, I guess. We've now evolved to having uh, 18 different shows, and every every show is on at least some point during the day. So uh, weekdays, there's a, a set schedule of all these different shows, yours included, and they range the gamut from hardcore anti-war libertarian shows like my friend Scott Horton's Anti-War Radio, where he's always interviewing the most amazing foreign policy analyst uh, types, you know, these different people uh, who are either right over there in the thick of it uh, in the war zones or who are part of the policy makers and uh, movers and shakers and that's a fantastic show and then of course we've got been all of america weekdays yes. 4 to 5 p.m central standard time and we've got uh john greenwald the you know used to be the youngest ufo guy on on uh, on the scene and he's been doing the black vault forever doing his freedom of information act requests and he's got his black vault radio show and uh, just a whole bunch of others. Um, Todd Sheets from the paranormal community, uh, really, you know, to talk about somebody who's, you know, unifying all those different hundreds of UFO groups. Uh, you know, Todd is, is, is trying to be a uniter and not a divider and, and is uh, constantly, you know, having folks on from the paranormal community to, uh, and try to bring people together. And then we've got, you know, our irreverent morning show style, you know, real obnoxious guys, uh, that do a show called Nervous Teeth. Uh, it's a weekly roundup of the paranormal and parapolitical, but they're hilarious, but they're also going to offend a lot of people out there. So, and, uh, just too many shows to mention, but yeah, my, my show on Wednesday nights, which I honestly have not been doing lately, uh, um, uh, is the Blue Rose Report. Uh, the Blue Rose Report was inspired by, uh, the idea expressed in the Twin Peaks movie prequel, called Fire Walk With Me, and that is the idea of Blue Rose Cases. Remember, folks, this is Twin Peaks came out before, like a year and a half before The X-Files, but it was basically kind of an X-Files show, only it's even stranger because it was David Lynch. And in the prequel, Fire Walk With Me, we learn that uh, a certain FBI bureau chief, played by David Lynch, uh, has what he calls his Blue Rose Cases, and... Uh, only through a little bit of research might you learn that the blue rose is an unattainable species of rose. There, there, there is no 
naturally occurring blue rose. And so it's, the blue rose has always symbolized the unattainable, but as, as well as the, the unexplained, the, and, and the myth surrounding the blue rose in different cultures manifest in a variety of forms, but they, they often involve the, the reality of a paranormal realm and paranormal entities. And, um, the Blue Rose Report was my attempt to, uh, as I said earlier, use uh, the Twin Peaks and Firewalk with Me storyline as a, uh, a launch pad for folks who might have only a passing interest or knowledge about the esoteric and UFOs and and strange phenomena to delve deeper and and not just deeper but into the more the wilder side, if you will, yeah. of of ufology and parapsychology. Going after Mac Tony's uh, coining of crypto terrestrial, it's, it's crypto ufology, folks. It's the the hidden coded side of ufology, um, and and that encompasses some of the uh, ideas about the esoteric and occult in the sense of secret societies and and not just secret societies in terms of covert ops, but secret societies that practice magic and their own self mind control techniques um, to better themselves, but also in some cases to manipulate the very fabric of reality, perhaps. And there's just so many different touchstones in the Twin Peaks series that can be used as, oh, well, you know, remember that thing in the the episode such and such where this happens? Well, that, you know, he may not have intended this, but, you know, in that postmodern literary sense, it's like you can really use it as a springboard to talk about these other things, whether they were intended or not. Um, You know, the fact that uh, the owls are not what they seem uh, that was a, a theme that recurs in the series, the idea that, that the owls that uh, fly amongst the, the mysterious trees that surround Twin Peaks um, may actually be spirits themselves or, you know, the the eyes and ears of, of, of these entities from the Black Lodge and the White Lodge, these two possibly opposing forces that are at play uh, and, and in some ways on a murderous rampage of humanity, in the, at least in the town of Twin Peaks. And uh, so Blue Rose Report has been my, my excuse for uh, delving into the darker, weirder side of, of ufology and parapsychology and the paranormal, while at the same time incorporating the parapolitical. Unfortunately, um, I do two other weekly shows. Unfortunately, I have <laughs> yeah. two, two other shows with some wonderful co-hosts on Tuesday nights and, and Thursday nights, um, and I've been more focused on doing those. And then uh, it's that's been a joy to work with uh, my friends Mac White uh, on the Tuesday night show PSYOP Radio. That's spelled P-S-I instead of P-S-Y. PSYOP with a Y, of course, a, a pseudo uh, conjunction of uh, psychological operations, psychological warfare. The the idea of uh, manipulating people's minds and beliefs toward military and political agendas, basically the same thing that marketing and advertising does to make you buy things. We've called it PSYOP, uh, PSI, because we have an understanding and an appreciation and an interest in the psychic realm, the ESP realm, the realm of, of the psychic, whether it be in just the terms of the, the psyche, how, how mind control and, and psyops in the classic sense can influence people's psyches, but also the, the element of, of psychic uh, research there. I mean, um, anybody who's looked into remote viewing uh, has to, you know, kind of wonder about, you know, what the, the military and the government might have done with some of the more speculative arenas of, of remote viewing and what's called um, DeMille's direct mental influence of living system and remote influence uh, techniques that are pretty con- – in, in the worst, darkest uh, modes uh, were reported to be you know, things like the Russians using psychics to try to stop people's hearts <laughs> and things yeah. like that. 
And so Mac White and I do that weekly show, uh, and it's also carried on Revere Radio Network, the, the worldwide home of free speech, no matter how ugly. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we've been doing that for about two years. No, no, about just over a year now. What am I saying? Two years. About a year now. And uh, that's always fun. Mac White is an amazing comic artist and uh, amazing parapolitical researcher. He's he's actually interviewed in uh, Timothy McVeigh's favorite uh, uh, Waco documentary, <laughs> uh, Day 51, uh, a famous uh, documentary about uh, Waco, which, of course, is the anniversary this week, mm-hmm. this weekend, um, is unfortunately the anniversary of that horrific series of parapolitical events. He's also published a number of fantastic comic books over the years, uh, incorporating his uh, interest and research into the paranormal and the parapolitical. I first came across his work in a local newspaper. He was doing a really amazing series called Stigmata Sunrise, and it was all about millennial you know, Y2K cults and prophecy and incorporated just so many amazing things. And when I finally got to meet him, it was just like, Wow, you know, somebody who's really, you know, uh, interested in all the same areas as I am, but, you know, who's been around the block a few times and yeah. grew up, you know, he's an, he's an older gentleman than I am. And he's had his own experiences with psychic phenomena, including um, as a child having a premonition about JFK's death and learning from his dad, who's his, uh, Mike White's father was a, uh, a local newspaper man here in, in uh, Texas and uh, was was speaking out then, right after the assassination, uh, the coup with the JFK hit. And so, you know, Mac's no stranger to the controversial and the parapolitical. And on Thursdays, I do a show with my good friend Craig York, who's uh, fascinated by ghost stories and Fortean phenomena and paranormal. And he's really into, you know, cutting edge frontier science news. And uh, he's also a talented voice actor. He's involved in local uh, radio, live radio theater. Uh, there's a local oh, nice. uh, theater group called the Violet Crown Radio Theater Players. And for those that don't know, Austin has was called the, the City of the Violet Crown after, I think, a famous guy, O. Henry, um, coined that phrase. Or I don't know if he coined it, but he made it stick. Um, and so this local theater group, they do they do radio plays, but they do them live in front of an audience. It's kind of strange. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he's he and I met through uh, my day job with the, the Talking Book Program where we do audio books for the blind and print disabled. And uh, we run a volunteer recording studio. Uh, and, it, and I would encourage anybody, no matter what state in the United States you're in, and in a few other international countries, most a lot of uh, forward-thinking governments have these programs providing books on tape to the blind and handicapped so that they can have equal access to uh, literature and information uh, that you and I might take for granted because uh, we can see. <laughs> and uh, so he's also got he's a, he's also an avid model builder and has a fascination with uh, um, strange military hardware. Like so, there's all those weird you know you've you've heard all those weird stories about the the Nazis coming out with the craziest weapons, uh, you know some of which they actually built. Um, he's he's fascinated by that um, and uh, he's also we share an interest in you know animation and and science fiction and and then the, there's all the other shows you can go to anomalyradio.com and you can see all the different shows like i said there's 18 different shows some of them are live like we we carry uh, anti-war radio live every day as well as Catherine albrecht the uh, woman who uh, wrote the book spy chips and who her main thing is the prison planet control grid that's being instituted slowly but surely uh, to enslave humanity via you know, technologies like the RFID, the radio frequency identifier chip that they want to put into everything and everybody. Um, 
Yeah. She's fighting that tooth and nail. Um, and just a whole just host of shows, other, yeah. a whole host of other great shows. Uh, Adam Gorelli's Untamed Dimensions, uh, Errol Bruce Knapp's uh, Strange Days Indeed, uh, out of Canada. That's a great UFO show. And oh, and I don't know how many people out there might be fans of uh, Mike Watt, the amazing bassist from the old punk band called The Minutemen. He's a phenomenal musician and, and plays with everybody, and he's got a long-running three-hour radio show that he puts out as a podcast. We re-air that. It's called The Watt from Pedro Show, and it's like he does great interviews with people as he tours the country and the world, and fantastic stuff. Nice, nice. Definitely. Folks should check this stuff out because, you know, we only put out, you know, an hour or two a week, so there's plenty of time for people to listen to other shows, and definitely uh, the Anomaly Radio Network is a showcase for so many great shows. Now, to take the conversation down a completely different avenue, talking about prolific, I see here on your resume that you are a pro-am hand model. <laughs> I'm a professional, pro-am, professional amateur hand model. Uh, well, I presume you're master of your own domain. Um, I I decided to to put that up there as a nice joke Uh, a lot of people don't think about Bigfoot when they think of Texas but there's a a lot of uh, excellent Bigfoot research going on in Texas and what does this have to do with my hand well you know (laughs) one of the one of the um, Bigfoot researchers here in Texas is a guy named uh, uh, Chester Moore Jr. and uh, for a while there were two different awesome Bigfoot conferences every year here in Texas. The Southern Crypto Conference put on by Chester Moore that I mentioned, and uh, Craig Woolheater's Texas Bigfoot Research Center, and now it's Texas Bigfoot Conservancy. Uh, they put on the Texas Bigfoot Conference. Two excellent conferences. Um, well, I was lucky one New Year's Day to make a trip out to East Texas, the Piney Woods of East Texas, the boggy, swampy uh, woodlands there. I mean, we've got more woods in Texas than I think California. Uh, and Oregon and Washington combined, and it's in those piney woods that most of Texas's wild man stories and Bigfoot legends uh, have emerged, and uh, a good friend of mine named Rob Briggs, who's written his own book on uh, the piney woods and and strange stories, uh, both paranormal and cryptozoological associated with the wild man of the big thicket, Um, he uh, scheduled a a field trip out into the piney woods with uh, my good friend Chester Moore, and we were looking in an area where they felt certain there was a lot of activity, and when we were looking for tracks, we photographed what's often referred to as kind of a, a swoop track, or a, uh, it's not, it, it's not necessarily the size of it, it's, it's, it doesn't seem to show the differentiation you would imagine in, uh, like, you know, with the different toes. Um, there's a lot of variety of strange tracks that cryptozoologists have been documenting, and we found this one, and my hand was put down as a reference for uh, <laughs> the size. And so thus was born my first uh, uh, published hand modeling photograph. Um, <laughs> uh, recently, a, a good friend of mine who has no interest in the anomalous per, per se, but he's a prolific science fiction writer and horror writer. He's just a writer, but um, he's, invo- he's been involved in the Masters of Horror cable TV series, and uh, he's working on uh, the sequel to Bubba Hotep and uh, some other awesome horror movies. And uh, He's got a new book coming out called The Shock Festival, and it's kind of a, it's a, it's a faux history of a B-movie community that never existed. So it's like it's a coffee table book with the most amazing, outrageous B-movie posters you've ever seen for movies that never existed, but with a storyline that explains the history of all the people involved who never existed. Nice, <laughs> nice. Uh, and so uh, he got me and a whole bunch of other folks to do uh, modeling for 
the posters and then he would paint over them and and cut and paste and make different posters and now he's he's actually besides the book which is going to come out later this year he's uh got, getting a lot of work doing these posters for people both for movies that are coming out as well as just special projects that people want him to do. And so my hand holding various uh, firearms has ended up on several people's bodies. So, um, nice. So now I, I, my, my hands have, have acted as models. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you didn't think we'd go down this direction in the hand model. Uh, once I saw it on the resume there on the website, though, I was like, oh, that's got to go in the notes, hand model. Yeah, I keep flashing to that, you know, uh, Seinfeld episode. Oh, yeah. Costanza, you know, finally finding his calling. <laughs> yeah, as long as you're not running around with oven mitts on all the time because you don't yeah. want to damage your hands. Not yet. <laughs> That's good. I guess you could say one of your newest big projects that you have going on is the Anomaly magazine that you've recently launched. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how many issues you put out, but it's it's pretty new, I presume, from what I understand. It's, it's very new. Um, we basically launched it uh, this the new year. Um, we've put out a, a, a couple of issues um, in a in a broadsheet format. We're intending it to evolve towards a more traditional tabloid or magazine style. Uh, publication. Um, right after 9-11, um, a friend of mine who had helped sell ads and find sponsors for the, the New Thought Conference uh, in 2001, um, he decided to start a publication called the Austin Para Times and, and approached me to be the editor and content wrangler and writer for it. And so I really had a great time doing that, but we went our separate ways and He's now doing a magazine called Weird, um, and it's 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 a great magazine for all things strange and whatnot. But you know, I I I still want to to put out material that's both paranormal and parapolitical, and that both entertains, educates, and enlightens. But you know, as always, we're in you know a parapolitical crisis, and so I want there to be a a good uh, amount of that in there too. And a variety of things came together uh, late last year. Uh, including uh, my good friend that I mentioned earlier, Mac White, uh, retiring from his day job, and uh, a couple of other uh, people I'd met who were either already involved in publishing, publishing backgrounds, and uh, one of whom who had a keen interest in all things paranormal, ufological, and cryptozoological. And a year previously, we had um, run into each other, and I told him about some of my business project ideas. And a year later, he contacted me saying, hey, man, I quit my day job and I want to do this project, one of these magazine ideas. And so the, these three other conspirators, Mac White, Tom White, and uh, Jeremy Wells, um, have basically uh, kind of, we all, <laughs> it was like a strange attractor. We just kind of all came together and felt like it was time to do something like this. So uh, we started doing that and it's just really barely getting off the ground. We've got the website, anomalymagazine.com, where we've posted uh, most of the content that's appeared in print and stuff that's uh, going to be, be appearing in print. You know, right now it's mostly intended as an Austin publication. It's it's put out um, for free at you know about a hundred locations across uh, the city of Austin, and um, it's it's in the, the form of a broadsheet. It's just one, currently it's just like one sheet folded over with uh, you know like about five media articles per issue, several of which are usually uh, a local political type of activism oriented, you know, just reporting on the facts about what's going on locally. But then there's the, the anomalous component, the uh, the paranormal and, and ufological articles that uh, Jeremy and I and, and Mac White are contributing. Um, and the ultimate aim is uh, we're going to be, we're, we're working on uh, shifting it from 
we, we still want it to come out in the broadsheet format as often as possible, but we want to put out uh, a more um, tabloid newsprint style, uh, magazine style publication. But as always, I, I tend to uh, see so many of these projects as being interrelated, um, and 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 the, I, I have a vision for you know what I want it to be once it grows into its full maturity. And we're looking at doing you know, starting locally, but we, we hope to eventually have it be national and international and and graduate up to, you know, a newsstand variety magazine, uh, maybe one that might we might even do subscriptions, uh, as well as of course, you know, ebook download versions of the of the magazine. You know, there's great places online like the UFO store dot com where, you know, they're really pushing this the, the, the PDF downloadable versions of magazines now. It's really hard uh to, to be successful uh, in the publishing field. I mean magazines like Fate and Fourteen Times are some of the only ones that have actually managed to, to last in yeah. length of time. Um even the the MUFON Journal, you know, uh, you know, MUFON used to be the largest civilian UFO research organization in the world, and they used to have, you know, a really good magazine, and I, I, I'm sure it's still good, but it's never been a newsstand magazine, and it's always been a struggle to keep, you know, that going, and you know, th- it's it's really adapt or die, so uh, we're not ruling out any potential delivery options, um, and so digital downloads is another option. Um, I've mentioned, you know, in my day job, I provide audiobooks for the blind and handicapped. Well, one of my other areas of interest is in the business world of audiobooks, and I've got a lot of contacts locally and elsewhere involved in the audiobook industry. And um, one of the things we're moving towards is, is producing uh, anomaly, paranormal, parapolitical UFO audiobooks. Oh, and, nice. Um, there's just not – if you go to, like, the, the websites that, that – sell audiobooks, there just are hardly any UFO books in audio format. There's hardly any paranormal books of any note or repute. And you can't tell me that, that you know, your average audiobook reader isn't interested in that. I think that there's a variety of things that have contributed to that. But how that connects to Anomaly Magazine is that we're looking at doing uh, an uh, audio version of the magazine very soon. Nice. So it's like we're going to – we're continuing to do the, the small print version that's a, more of a like a, a weekly – you know, monthly kind of a publication, but we want to do a more a meatier thing where it's not just, you know, a two-sided uh, folded piece of paper and, and it's, you know, got the full-on, you know, multiple juicy articles that people can sit down uh, and, and not read through in one sitting kind of thing. And with the audio component, you know, taking advantage of, of, of the Internet and podcasting and uh, digital downloads, um, I think we're really approaching – a true uh, anomaly audio network, you know, that the, the, the radio component, you know, fits in and the, ma- the, the audio version of the magazine fits in too. Um, and so I'm really excited about that. In fact, actually, uh, that's one of the things that we've, we're uh, going to be doing is uh, in the evening hours on anomaly radio, there's going to be an uh, audio book hour, audio, anomaly magazine audio hour. Oh, nice. Um, where we'll be airing some of the uh, the audio versions of the of the articles, uh, and as we start to produce these uh, audiobooks, uh, we'll be doing, of course, promotional excerpts, uh, and even maybe some radio theater. I, I love you know classic radio theater, and like I said, you know one of my co-hosts is involved in that scene locally, and there's a there's a real resurgence of it. So I, I really I see Anomaly magazine going in a, a couple of different directions. I want it to be kind of a hip modern culture magazine that is 
about the anomalous, but see, anything can be anomalous. You can have anomalous art. You can have, you know, is, is corruption an anomaly in politics? That's what I want to know. <laughs> um, I don't think so, but it, nonetheless, to most people's mind, it's it's still anomalous. It's, it's you know, surely the government isn't out to kill me. Um, <laughs> um, and, and so I, I see Anomaly magazine evolving towards uh, a slick assortment of, of cultural uh, material, you know, movie reviews, music reviews, art reviews, but of course with a, a hard core of, of UFO uh, articles, cryptozoology articles, Fortean anomalous phenomena research, parapsychological research. One of the things that I'm resur I've resurrected from the old Elphus days is a research roundtable where we, uh, you know, put a, a specific question to a panel of experts and uh, get these different people's take on on the same question. And um, one, the one that the question that we're uh, posting right now are answers related to the idea of how does the media influence what's reported in terms of UFO uh, narratives. Um, this was the, actually the first question that I posed 10 years ago to uh, the panel back then, and we got a really amazing uh, variety of responses. And uh, my good friend Greg Bishop finally gave his he he, he finally turned in his, his response <laughs> almost 10 years later. Um, um, and of course, you know, we had gotten a response from uh, Jim Keith back in the day. Of course, Jim Keith is no longer with us, um, uh, either due to sinister forces or just bum luck. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, he did an article about you know the, the shapeshifter nature of the UFO entities, and and how the media does influence that. And um, so I want to encourage you know dialogue amongst these different fields because so often different you know so many cryptozoology people don't want to talk about UFOs. Yeah. And when the fact is that there are overlaps of these phenomena, especially in, in terms of there being outbreaks of of sightings. Um, and you know, you know, paranormal researchers and ghost researchers, you know, a lot of them don't want to talk about UFOs or Bigfoot because they think it 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 doesn't do their area of controversial research any good. When you know, again, there are distinct and obvious overlaps. So um, I, I hope Anomaly Magazine can help fun facilitate some more community building in that regard, and um, we'll just kind of see where it takes us. Um, again, the technology is evolving so quickly. Um, I've got a lot of uh, interest in video production, and so uh, we've got a lot of people who, locally who have access to video technology, and, and we've got we've already been experimenting with doing some, you know, video uh, casting along with the, the audio casting. So there's just no telling where this could all go. Exactly. All right. Well, you kind of already sort of touched on what's next for you, but I have a sinking suspicion that there's even more what's next for you. So, so <laughs> what do you have coming up on the horizon? Anything you want to plug? Uh, anything people should know about that's coming out uh, your way? Mostly, I, I, n no specific announcements. I mean, uh, we, I'll be promoting the, the new issue of Anomaly Magazine as soon as it's ready to come out. Um, it's going to have uh, the, the print version will have copies of the articles that I've already posted online involving uh, my, my Blue Rose report uh, explication of the UFO scene via shows like Twin Peaks. Uh, other popular culture references. There's an uh, article I wrote called Guided by Voices about all the technologies and techniques to facilitate the induction of voices in your head uh, that are now making their way into the, the marketing and advertising arena, but which uh, UFO and conspiracy researchers have been documenting and warning about for decades. We've got an interview with uh, uh, parapolitical researcher Ken Thomas in the, in the next issue. 
a whole bunch of other parapolitical and paranormal-oriented articles on the horizon for Anomaly Magazine. But as far as the ultimate future of, of all the things I'm involved with, um, I really I want to uh, see my different nonprofits that I'm associated with flourish. Um, you know, I've got all these for-profit projects that it would be great to see them flourish and and uh, be able to allow me the freedom to do these things full time and give them uh, the attention and, and energy they deserve. But the, the nonprofits equally need to succeed. I mean, I collected thousands of books uh, and, and finally decided, you know, these need to serve more than just me. So if I can put them into a, a nonprofit lending library, more people can benefit from them. And so that's why I founded the Anomaly Archives and that's really where I, I hope to see my long-term future uh, be. I, I want to see the, the, the Anomaly Archives, the Scientific Anomaly Institute, and uh, some of the other nonprofits that I'm associated with locally, the Institute for Neuroscience and Consciousness Studies. Um, all these folks have a drive and desire to help understand uh, the nature of consciousness and, and do parapsychological research and, and, and benefit humanity uh, with what we discover. And we've finally gotten to the point where our organizations are starting to get some funding, and we, we really want to start, you know, putting that funding into the community. And, you know, there's, there's nothing being negotiated just yet, but let me just say that there's a lot of people out there who have some great research ideas or who have already started, but they just need a little help. And uh, INAX, the Institute for Neuroscience and Consciousness Studies that I mentioned, and the Anomaly Archives are definitely interested in doing our own research, but also helping uh, others in the community. And so I know there's a lot of efforts out there to do research into the alien abduction phenomena with instrumented technology. And uh, there's the archival efforts of, of uh, folks, like I mentioned, uh, um, John Greenwald Jr. doing the, the program. He's recently launched a, a fantastic uh, online archive of all the MUFON journals, and he's helping uh, MUFON uh, archive their materials. And there's just so many great organizations out there. And unfortunately, over the last several years, some of these organizations have shut their doors. So it's it's important to me to see those seekers be able to keep seeking. Yeah. And while, you know, there's often a lot of criticism about people in these different fields, you know, oh, they're just out to make a buck. Well, uh, first of all, it's really hard to make a buck in these different fields, whether it's yeah. the parapolitical activist field or whether it's the paranormal investigation field or uh, the UFO and paranormal parapsychological investigation field. It's it, it can be very tough to earn a living, and I just hope that I can help, even when I ever have any success, <laughs> I can uh, help others succeed too. And and I would say that these nonprofits are, are some of the ways. Uh, that I see that we could um, actually give back to the community besides the way I feel I do through my own Elphis Network and uh, Anomaly Network projects. There you go. There you go. Well, Smiles, I can't thank you enough for ever coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, you were kind enough to have me on the Blue Rose Report uh, last September when we launched uh, BOA Audio onto the Anomaly Radio Network, and uh, recently we were in touch, and I knew just based on your wide berth of experience in the field and your long-time research and all the different projects that you're involved with that you'd have something to say on the paranormal, and obviously you did. We sat down here for one hour and it turned into a two-hour uh, jam session, I guess you could say. It's really what it felt like, and I had a great time talking to you. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate also the fact that you're interested in helping other people and, and sort of uh, 
helping other organizations grow and other people uh, get their projects up and running and stuff like that. You're a helper, and I, uh, you know, we we need more people like that in the paranormal field. A lot of people are only sort of interested in putting their own work over, and it uh, sounds like you're helping out so many other people with their stuff that uh, it's really commendable, so you, you deserve high praise for that. And um, like I said, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, and uh, best of luck with all these different projects. Of course, people can find out more at smileslewis.com, anomalyradio.com. Uh, what are the other ones we should throw in here? Uh, Elsa'sNet is there you go. The, one of the ways to contact, to, to see all the different websites that I host. Um, and, yeah, there's links there. All right, Elvis. But thank, thanks for net. all the kind words, and, and it was a joy. I really enjoyed talking to you as well, and uh, I think you're doing a great job, and, and I think you're providing an, an important resource yourself. You're 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 helping people uh, hear the word of a variety of different perspectives, and uh, even if we don't agree with all of them, they've all got something to add to the dialogue. Exactly. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Smiles. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, that does it for this week's edition of BOA Audio Season Three. Big, big, super huge thanks to Smiles Lewis for coming on the show and giving us so much time and insight into all of his various investigations of the paranormal. Of course, you can find out more on Smiles Lewis at the website www.smileslewis.com. Check it out. Also, be sure to check out anomalyradio.com and elfus.net, two of the many websites of the Smiles Lewis empire. And now, on to this week's edition of BOA Audio Listener Feedback. Coming to us all the way from Alaska, it is Gabe, and here's what Gabe has to say. I was going to try and read the interview with Carl Feint, but I couldn't get past the bright white letters on black background. It's pretty hard on the eyes. Signed, Gabe. That's all he has to say. Short and sweet, bit of a critique on the BOA website, but it brings up an interesting point. If folks are having a hard time reading the summaries at BOA, definitely shoot me an email. Maybe it's time we took a look at changing up the style of how we post the summaries on the BOA pages. Something definitely worth considering, perhaps for Season 4, or retroactively going back and reposting these with black text on white background. I don't know. Just something to think about. If it's something you've been bothered by and haven't written to me before, send me an email. Let me know if it's something that annoys you. Or if you don't mind it at all or you like it, send me an email and let me know that so I know you know, where people stand on all that. Either way, thank you very much for writing in, Gabe. I appreciate it all the way from Alaska. you got to love that. you got to love getting emails from folks in Alaska. If you'd like to be a part of BOA Audio Listener Feedback, there's three ways to do it. Let me run down the list for you. Either A, write to boaaudio at hotmail.com, or simply go to banalofamerica.com, click the contact button. And the third way is the ultra-cool BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. Either go to BOA and click the forum button, or just punch in that URL. That'll take you to the usofe.com, the official BOA forum, where we discuss all things esoteric and not-so-esoteric, like TV, sports, and other fun stuff to help take your mind off the paranormal world every now and again. Any of those three methods can help you get your correspondence into my hands and eventually be used here at the end of the program for BOA Audio listener feedback. Up next, of course, it is the thanks portion of the show, Big, big, super huge thanks to the fantastic BOA staff, 
Leslie, Chiron, Arlie, Jovi, Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, and Richard Thomas from Wales. The BOA staff putting out tremendous reading material week in and week out, all kinds of stuff. The debate over skepticism versus debunkery via Leslie's Grey Matters this week. The esoteric worlds of Doctor Who via Richard's Room 101. Regan Lee looked at the Avatar organization in her bi-weekly column, Trickster's Realm. Last week, Rochelle Hawks's Medusa's Ladder took a look at a really strange story from the 1930s about X-ray slash CAT scan style images. Very esoteric stuff. Chiron was all over the Phoenix hoax that went on a few weeks ago, and Tina Senna was talking about a monster-repelling light. So we've got all kinds of great stuff at POA every day, pretty much. Monday through Friday, we're posting new columns or a little satire from me. But there's always something cooking at Ben All of America. And the bulk of that material is provided by the outstanding BOA staff. Without them, we'd just be a measly little radio show. As we say week in and week out here at the end of the program, if you're only listening to Ben All of America Audio and you're not reading the columns at BOA, you're only getting half the story. Benallofamerica.com. Make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. As you'll hear in the preview for next week's show, we've got a massive international episode on tap for you. These calls cost money, my friends, and of course, hosting the show and the bandwidth and all that funky computer stuff costs me money too. All of those expenses are paid for by yours truly with help from great listeners like you who make donations. How do you help us out? How do you make a donation? That's simple. You go to binallofamerica.com, click the PayPal button. That'll get you en route to making a donation to BOA. No donation is too small, and all donations go towards keeping Binall of America and BOA Audio up and running and freely available for all of our great listeners and readers the world over. Next week on the program... It is part one of two in a lengthy conversation with Australian ufologist Bill Chalker. That's right, we're going to return to Down Under for more international esoteric discussion. In this first half installment, we're going to be discussing the history of the UFO phenomenon in Australia, a plethora of key cases from Australian UFO history, and an in-depth look at Bill's forensic investigation into an alleged abduction that spawned his book, hair of the alien. It's another international showcase for BOA Audio as we continue our investigation of the global aspect of ufology with Bill Chalker, direct from Sydney, Australia, on BOA Audio. And on that note, I think we're all set here for the week. Thank you so much for listening, folks, and for your support of BOA Audio. Until next week, this is Tim Benall, signing off.